Happy Father's Day. Uh, I hope that if you're a dad, that you are uh, blessed here today. And while it's a little bit hard to find, if, if you would uh, open your Bibles or Bible apps to the book of Philemon. Philemon, as we continue our series uh, 2020. This is uh, not the shortest book in the Bible, but it is Paul's shortest letter. There's only 25 verses. The shortest book is, in, uh, is actually 2 John. Uh, so this is another prison letter. And in order to understand what's going on here in Philemon, I want to introduce you to uh, so the, the three main earthly characters. Uh, the first one on your outline there, it is Paul. Now, we know that Paul was actually not a dad, but he had uh, spiritual children. Uh, he, he, he brought the gospel to the Gentiles. He wrote this letter to his wealthy and dear friend, Philemon. He was also his co-worker. Philemon, the next blank on your outline there, the three main earthly characters. So Philemon lived in Colossae. And if you remember, um, we spent a week looking at the book of Colossians. We, we spent several weeks looking at the book of Colossians. Uh, remember, Colossians answered two questions. What makes the gospel different than all other religions? And in short, the answer is Jesus does. And then also remember that we had the kids come forward and we talked about popcorn. And just like a, a kernel of popcorn, when what's inside gets heated up, when it comes out, what, what does that look like when they did us? It's a question that all as dads we should consider. Philemon faces a choice between letting the gospel come out of him or uh, letting his desires and his wants. Uh, do you ever feel like the, the preacher must have been watching you all week when you come on Sunday? Because, I mean, it, it, feels, like, it feels like he's just speaking right to you. I, I think Philemon must have. But that's just the power of the Word of God, the power of the Spirit of God. And, and I just want to remind you that I preach to myself each and every week. Philemon must have felt that way when he, when he read Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. It's a simple little command, but if it was me when I heard that, I would have been waiting for the exception to this command. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts unless someone has wronged you. Right, God? I mean, it has to be. Or, or let the peace of God rule in your hearts unless you are higher up on the social hierarchy than someone else, and they messed up, and you have every right to bring the hammer down, which is exactly what Philemon's case was. But... No exception there. Uh, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, within the body of Christ, in every relationship, in every situation. You see, Philemon was a slave owner. Uh, slavery was cultural. There were different reasons why people were enslaved. And the evils of slavery are not directly addressed in this letter. But one of, Paul, one of Philemon's slaves' names was Onesimus, number three on your outline. Onesimus. His name actually means profitable or useful, but it appears he did not live up to his name because he was a fugitive. Apparently, Onesimus wronged Philemon. Many scholars believe that Onesimus stole something from his owner, and then he ran away to Rome. And he probably thought, okay, I'll just blend in with this new culture and start a new life. But all, along the way, he met Paul. And I speculate, perhaps because of his lifestyle of thievery, maybe it landed him in the prison system where Paul was for his faith. But however it happened, Onesimus met Paul, Paul led him to Christ, and Paul calls Onesimus his son uh, in verse 10, his son in chains. And so this presents quite the quandary, doesn't it? If Jesus makes us new, 
then what do we do with all the wrong we did before we knew him? Many of us have a story, a B.C., a before Christ story. But this is the beauty of the gospel. We are saved from our sins, past, present, and future, because of what Jesus has done. But in some cases, like Onesimus's, he needed to go back and make things right with his owner. And so Paul is writing to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. Paul is writing to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. And we see Paul considered Philemon a beloved friend. And so we start with number one in your outline, the friendship between the two. Uh, we'll pick it up in verse one. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, which was Philemon's wife, Archippus, which was Philemon's son, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from the, our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith with which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. And so what we see here, Paul is using a, a leadership technique uh, maybe some of us have used before. If you have something that might be hard to receive, start with good news. That's exactly what Paul did. In this case, Paul said to his friend, listen, Philemon, I'm praying for you. I've, I've heard about the, your love and, and sharing your faith. And this brings joy to me and Timothy, and we know that your faith is refreshing others. And so this leads to number two on your outline, the fellowship. The fellowship. So we have the friendship and then the fellowship. Paul used a word in verse 6 that those of us who studied experiencing God just this last spring will be familiar with. It's translated as sharing here in the New King James. In the NIV, it's, it's translated as partnership. The word is koinonia. Koinonia. Uh, say that with me. Koinonia. Uh, those who have, st- have done that study before, do you remember what it, what it means? You can write it down. Koinonia is intimate fellowship. Intimate fellowship. So verse 6 there, that the sharing, the koinonia, the intimate fellowship of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. So when we read it in context, it may be hard to, it may be easy to miss the, the strength of this word. Koinonia is used to describe the deepness of our relationship with God through Jesus. The fullest possible relationship with God that then leads to intimate fellowship with each other. We've experienced it. Uh, we see examples of this in the early church and throughout the New Testament. Now, in experiencing God, Henry Blackamy spent almost an entire week talking about how koinonia first affects our relationship with God, then our relationship with, with each other, and then even across denominational lines. So beyond uh, accepting Jesus as our Savior, how do we get to that point where we experience true koinonia, the fullest possible intimate fellowship with God and across every other relationship. Well, Blackaby offers four essentials, and so we're going we're gonna to look at those. It starts with our priorities. First, we have to love God with our total being. We have to love God with our total being. Matthew 22, 37, 38, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So in context, uh, the opposition was mounting against Jesus. He, he, and they were wanting to test him and catch him in a mistake. 
And one of the scribes asked him, okay, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Uh, Which one is most important? And so Jesus said, love the Lord your God with everything you are. All our spiritual depth, the way we handle struggles and temptations, how we look at life, all depend upon what place God has in our life. So let's connect the dots. Follow me here. Uh, if, If we love God with all our hearts, souls, and minds, then John 14, 15 becomes true of us. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, one of these commandments that applies to Philemon, it may apply to your life as well. It's found in 1 John 4, 21. This commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. And so just in case you were wondering, the word for love there is agape. We've seen it before. Not self-seeking, not conditional, God-like love. And so if you say that you love God like this, then you must also love your brother like this. We can all testify of the other things that we can put in the place of God. When the cares of this world, when, when what John, 1 John 2, 15 and 16 classify under the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life become our main focus, that's when we put God in the back seat. We don't love him with all of us, and then our other relationships start to unravel. And so in order for koinonia to happen, it's essential to love God with all that we are above everything else. So... Verse 6 there in Philemon, in order for the koinonia of your faith to be effective, you have to love God with all that you are. Secondly, we must submit to God's sovereign rule. Submit to God's sovereign rule. Sovereign means over and above everything. And just like we can, we can testify of the things we can put in God's place, we also know what it's like to submit, to, to not to submit to God's Sovereign rule, don't we? We understand what that's like. Judges, the book of Judges talks about a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And we see that led them down a 200 plus year spiral that ended in exile. They walked further and further and further away from God and they ended in exile. This is what happens when we don't deny ourselves, when we don't take up our cross and follow Jesus every day. This is what happens when we don't allow God to access certain parts of our lives. When we just won't obey him, we say two words that do not go together in the Christian's life. They are, no, Lord. Think about that for a minute. Two words that do not go together in a Christian's life. No, Lord. If he is truly Lord of our lives, we cannot tell him no. If we don't allow him to reign over everything, our koinonia, intimate fellowship, will be broken. So think of that in context of Philemon, verse 6 there. In order for the koinonia of your faith to be effective, you have to love God with all that you are, and you have to submit to his sovereign rule. Thirdly, we must experience God personally. We must experience God personally. Uh, so we have this conversation in my house every once in a while, the best vacation that we've ever been on. And for us, it was back in 2016 where we had the opportunity to go to Disney. We got to spend time in three of the four parks. We, got, we have the family picture in front of the castle, and it was just, it really was, it was a, it was a wonderful, wonderful vacation. Now, 
if you've been, you remember your memories of that. But if you haven't been, my vacation story really is just a story to you. It really has no effect, does it? And, and our faith is similar. It's one thing for someone to tell you about Jesus, but it's something entirely different to experience him on your own. My relationship with God is not dependent upon anybody else. It really is personal to me. It should be the same for you. Your relationship and experience of God should not depend on your spouse or your parents or your pastor or your youth pastor or your Sunday school teacher. It should be real and personal to you. I believe there comes a time in all of our lives that we have to decide if we will be a spectator of faith or will we be an active participant in faith. For me, it came in college where I had to decide, okay, this faith that I grew up in, is it just my parents' faith? Or is it going to be my own? Until we decide it will be our own, we won't, we won't experience koinonia and the gospel within us will not pop out. In order for the koinonia, the intimate fellowship of our faith to be effective, we have to experience God on our own. And fourthly, we must completely trust God. Blackaby writes this, To experience genuine koinonia with God, you must depend on Him to do the things only He can do. You must trust God alone. Psalm 27 says, Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. There are a lot of other things that we can put our trust in, in an attempt to accomplish the things that are beyond us. Instead of trusting in God alone to give us strength to overcome difficulty or find significance and fulfillment, we may look to a substance or to a relationship or to success. Instead of trusting God alone to show us the next step we should take in our business career, we may just plow forward and then wonder why. God, why didn't you bless this? Because you didn't even check with him. We didn't even check with him before we took a step. Instead of trusting God alone to help us forgive someone, we may just attempt to keep our minds busy so that we don't have to face the real issues. Life is constantly throwing things at us that we cannot handle on our own. What are we going to trust in to get us through? If we are trusting in God alone, if we experience God personally, if we submit to God's sovereign rule over our lives, if we love Him with everything we are, then we experience true, effective koinonia of our faith. And so this was a test for Philemon. This was a test for Philemon. Did he love God above vengeance, above what was stolen from him? Was he allowing God to rule his heart, or would the feelings of betrayal and anger rule his heart? Had Philemon truly experienced God on a personal level, or was he just a spectator in the early church? Listen, church leaders are more than capable of just being spectators of the faith. Did he trust God to make this right? Did he trust that God could overcome those feelings of hurt and anger in his heart, or did he really believe that they were just beyond what God could handle? Many times, even if we don't say it, we say it with our actions. Verse 4 again there in Philemon. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the 
koinonia of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Would the koinonia Philemon claimed to have with God be evident in koinonia with his brother Onesimus? That leads to the effect. We have friendship, we have fellowship. Number three is the effect. Look at verse 8. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, now also a prisoner of, of Christ, Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but is now profitable to you and to me. I'm sending him back with you. Therefore receive him, that is, my own heart. In other words, Receive him as you would receive me, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in flesh and in So the next blank on your outline, koinonia is a call for reconciliation. Koinonia is a call for reconciliation. That is at least one of the effects. And we need to understand the audacity of Paul's request. Philemon was this wealthy slave owner. He had worked his way up the ladder, and now he found himself pretty close to the top. That's where Jesus found him and changed him. And even after meeting Jesus, he was still a wealthy slave owner. Proof that God wants to use us right where we are. Now he had a church meeting in his home. He was a leader of the church. When his slave Onesimus, who was at the bottom of the ladder, stole something from him and then ran away. Now the law provided for punishment for Onesimus. Philemon could press charges. Onesimus would have paid the price, and maybe Philemon would have felt a little bit better knowing that. But while the law provided punishment, the gospel provided grace. Would Philemon allow the koinonia he claimed to have with God through Jesus extend to this fugitive slave who was now his brother in Christ? Yet another quandary, isn't it? Would he allow the peace of God to rule in his heart? I wonder if Paul's letter to the Corinthians ever came to to his mind. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Reconciliation, a word that means Made right. It is the foundation of the gospel. Because of Jesus, we have been made right with God. Now we are to pass on that reconciliation to others. Is it easy? Absolutely not. Is it impossible? Only if we attempt to accomplish it on our own power. Our koinonia with God helps us see followers of God as equal partners in the body of Christ 
and therefore reconciliation is a must. There's a word there in 2 Corinthians 5.19 that connects with Philemon. Notice that word imputing, imputing. Uh, This is a money term, and it can be good or it can be bad. Uh, Think of it like credit. If if someone takes $1,000 and puts it toward your account, it was imputed to you. Now in theology, to impute is to ascribe righteousness to something that did not deserve it on account of someone else. So This is the reality of the gospel. God looks at my spiritual account. It is empty. I am bankrupt. I have nothing in it to pay the debt that I owe. Not a chance, but over here, there's an account of Jesus. He has plenty. He never runs out. So God takes what he has and he applies it to my account. Therefore, I have enough. Enough to be made right in the sight of God. He credits it to my account. What Jesus has is credited to my account. Notice the same picture in Philemon. Verse 17. Again, this is Paul writing. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. And and so we see uh, these more than just characters in an ancient story of betrayal these three are players in our story these three are players in my story hello my name is onesimus i'm the one who was a slave a slave to sin a slave to my choices i'm the one who stole from philemon who is in this story a picture of God. He's not God, but he is a picture of God. I stole from God and then I ran away. But that's when I met Jesus, who is pictured in Paul, who stepped in on my behalf and mediated between me and God and imputed what he had to my account. If he hadn't stepped in, I never would have been made right with God. So even uh, the shortest of Paul's letters just oozes the gospel. The main characters are a picture of me, God, and Jesus. Actually, we don't don't know how this story ends. But because of all we've seen here today, I believe Philemon accepted Onesimus. He received him not as a slave, but as a brother. Verse 21 says this, having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Farewell. As we go into a time of invitation, uh, would you just bow your heads and, and close your eyes and, and answer the two questions that we always like to answer at this time? Uh, what has God said to you through His Word, through His Holy Spirit? What are you going to do about it?